Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. Doesn't it seem odd to you that we have this podcast called Man Listening, and it's produced by the lovely, the talented, the very capable, like hyper-competent Liz Egan, and you never hear her voice? Like, all you do is listen to me. Yeah. (laughs) It's like your job to sit around and listen to me. I mean, you should get paid a lot more. Hashtag blessed. (laughs) (laughs) This is the kind of stuff I like, funny stuff. Light stuff, but yeah. because we've recorded this damn cold open three <laughs> times, and you have not approved of the first two, like you were going to censor me in the first two. I didn't know I was going to be a part of this. You just—I'm I'm a deep kind of, of a guy. I'm a—I like to have deep discussions. Do you, do you not know this? I do. Okay, and so we're gonna like go straight at a kind of what I call genteel racism today. A kind of a different kind of a racism from another era. And that made you, my kids call it cringe. Like two of my four kids are older than you. Mm-hmm. And, and they say, Dad, you're being cringe. <laughs> now, would you concur with my kids' feeling that Stuart is being cringe? Um, with this, I think so, yeah. Well, I'm not being cringe. I'm just talking to a kindly little old lady. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she's not a cross-burning clan member. She is from her era, which, I mean, she was born in 1911. She was born 110 years ago. Wild. I know. And so she, and I mean, in South Alabama, so she's going to look at things like really differently. So she has what my kids would call a hot take. Have you heard this hmm. phrase? Is this, is this in your vernacular? I've heard of the phrase. So they're like, hot take, coming in. Here it goes. It means, and so, I mean, are we going to get canceled after we put this out? <laughs> I wouldn't say we. I'd say <laughs> you. I'm not getting canceled. It's, it's nice to know that you're with me. <laughs> 110. You're with me about, what, 33%? I'm I'm behind you 1%, Stuart. Yeah. Like, take my name off of this. I'm so uncomfortable. (laughs) Well, thank you for your work. You do great work. Thank you. And uh, thank you for trying to protect me, but I think you try to protect me a little too much. Yeah. I I think we need to get real here. I enjoy trying to help you out <laughs> as much as you let me. And, and you'll be submitting your resignation <laughs> after this. Possibly. <laughs> Liz Egan, thank you so much. Thanks. Here's Man Listening. Daddy got Mammy to come, and she lived in the house with us. And really, Mammy raised us. She was our mother. But any question about that? What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening, a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man Listening. 
because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, I'm Stuart Watson, and welcome to Man Listening. Today, my aunt, Lucy Jane Sachs. You should know that she grew up in the Church of Christ, that she died at the age of 103, and that she married a Jewish man, which was, you know, quite, caused quite the stir, let me say, in Anniston, Alabama. And we are including certain snips which place her firmly within the history she grew up in, uh, specifically as, as it concerns the two, you know, sort of hot button things of religion and race. And we're gonna start with race. Um, she, my, my grandfather we called Daddy Mans, and his wife we called Mama Annie. And so my dad's mother died when he was little, and his father, a doctor, all of a sudden had these little kids around home and he needed to go doctoring, and so he went over to a patient who was a black woman named Maddie Cobb. And they all called her Mammy because she moved into the house and stayed there, I think, until she died. She did not live in an apartment. She lived in the house and she raised the children and she essentially acted like a mother to these children who were motherless. Uh, their mother had died. And so it's really interesting to hear to me the relationship between my Aunt Lucy Jane and this woman she calls Mammy. So he had known Mom Annie since? Oh yes, he had known Mom Annie since she was, I don't know how old. Um, and she, at the time that Mother died, uh, Mena died rather, I didn't call her Mother. Um, Daddy, Mena told Daddy Mance if he ever married, if she was a man, she sure would marry Annie. And at that time, Annie was engaged to a young Presbyterian minister student who was going to be a, a missionary. I don't know where he was going, and she was going to marry him. But after Mother died, she decided to take on four children, and she married Daddy. And she married him within, oh, I say, nine months of Mother's death, which seemed to be awfully early to a lot of people, but it wasn't. Well, he needed somebody to take care of the children. Well, he did. That's the main thing about it. We had one nurse after another, and they all tried to marry the young doctor. <laughs> they all wanted, he had a lot of problems trying to get a housekeeper. But of course, we had Mammy, and I don't forget Mammy. Mammy was born in slavery in 1860. Or she was born on July the 4th, 1860, in slavery. And she became a patient of Daddy's, and when we when Mona died, uh, Daddy got Mammy to come, and she lived in the house with us. And really, Mammy raised us. She was our mother. There wasn't any question about that. One time, we, uh, I know, uh, we, Daddy Mans was after us for something, and she stood in front of the wood stove, and she, she was fourth Indian. And she spread her skirts out and hit us behind the stove. She said, Doctor ain't going to spank my children. And he didn't, <laughs> so Mammy really raised us. Mammy, were her kids grown? What happened to her? They kids? were grown when she moved in. Did she have a husband? Oh, not as not that. Oh, yes, she did at one time, but not when I knew her. He was passed on. He died. Mm -hmm. I never knew her husband. So she was born in '60, and that was in the twenty something. Like twenties, that would have been. She would have been older. She mm -hmm. would have been in her sixties. Mm -hmm. And she was bow legged, and. 
her hair was half frustrating. She was had the Indian, but she was she was a wonderful person. Yeah. My man tells a story about the perfume. Have you seen that Watson's a nine o two? About the. I have a copy of it, but I don't remember the story. Yeah, it's been a long time since I read it. Yeah. So she was like, uh, I mean, you knew her. She did all the practical raising. Mammy did, really honest. Mm -hmm. yeah. My mother was sick most of the time. Unfortunately, uh, Mama Annie is, was only 10 years older than I. She was 21 when she married Daddy and took on four children. And... She was sick most of the time. Now, I don't know whether it was due to the strain and the stress of raising four stepchildren of what, but Mama Annie was in and out of bed all the time. And she was, so she had it hard. Yeah, yeah, that's a big job. Oh, yes. And uh, uh, basically, uh, Mammy lived there for the rest of her life. Oh, yes. She had a little apartment. No, it wasn't an apartment. She had a room in the back of the house. Uh, it was one of the cisterns attached on for one of the children. And uh, had, she lived in that, that bus. Almost sounds like my memory. Oh, she was a family. Mammy raised me. <laughs> no question about it. That's interesting. And uh, when she, where did she die? Unfortunately, I was in and the family didn't even notify me. My man didn't tell me. So I don't I imagine she, I don't know. Sort of felt like then it just a little bit, I didn't let her know it. The fact that they didn't tell me when Mammy died. Should have been told. It wasn't. And so but uh, how long after uh, Myrna died did uh, Daddy Man's go to Mammy? It wasn't long after that. Oh, did she hear he uh, got Mammy almost immediately. She came straight in. I don't think she was there before Mother died, Mona died. Did she have any uh, children of her own? Yes, she had. Um, I don't know whether she had more than one or not, but she had a son who was a M.E., is it M.E. Methodist minister? Uh, African Methodist, uh -huh. Methodist Episcopal. Uh-huh. And he, he was minister of the Methodist Church there in Anniston. That Watson's at 902, mm -hmm. it mentions a daughter. Mama Annie mentioned a daughter of her. A daughter? I thought he did. I thought she did. Mammy lived right there in the house. Oh, maybe Mammy had a daughter. She could have had a daughter. Mammy lived with us. She, uh, After when she moved in, Daddy gave her the back bedroom. And uh, she lived right there. She was with us 24 hours a day. I had a date one night. She came in. She was fourth Indian, had sort of straight hair. And uh, she had them braided. And my date came in, and she didn't like the way he came in or something. And she came in, and she told him it was getting late. And so she, she, told, she told us how to behave. <laughs> now, you probably gathered this is not the voice of someone who is woke, as we would say nowadays. But it's really kind of unfair to look back at someone and to sort of judge them by the verbiage we'd use today and the sort of neat political views of one or the other, red or blue, right? You're either woke or you're not. You're either uh, woke or you're just a racist. Well, it's, it's not that simple. She articulates a kind of view of an elderly white woman in South Alabama 
who looked in a, a paternalistic way at black people, including this woman, Mammy, that she referred to basically as her mother, basically as her maternal substitute, as a family member. But what that meant was that when Martin Luther King came along, he was a troublemaker in her view because she has this narrative, this mindset that, oh, things are fine. Why are they upsetting the apple cart? You know, we were moving toward this area of equal rights for everyone, and they just he was just like a troublemaker who brought trouble or incited violence is the way she looked at it. Um, I'm not saying this is correct. I'm not defending it. I don't think that it was. I'm saying that I didn't sit there and judge her. I just wanted to see what she thought of. So you need to know that when you hear the way she talks about Martin Luther King, about the Civil Rights Movement, about Alabama, and specifically about Anniston, Alabama, because that's the place where the so-called Freedom Riders, white people and black people sitting side by side in uh, interstate bus travel, like Greyhound and Trailways, they pulled into Anniston, Alabama on Mother's Day in the early 1960s. I think it was 63. And what happened was Klan members came from church in their nice Sunday finest, their dresses and their coats and jacket and tie, and they punctured the tires of this bus, chased it out of town, blocked the doors, and then set the bus on fire. And if anybody made it outside the doors, they beat them savagely. And it was a white girl who lived nearby who ultimately intervened, and a white state trooper who fired a gun into the air to stop anyone from being actually killed, actually burned alive. And so what I wanted to know from my aunt, who's been dead seven years, died at the age of 103, is for someone who grew up in that town, how did she view the Freedom Riders and the pictures that went worldwide of this bus being burned with flames coming out of it with people inside? Well, I've don't ask me what I think, because it's not going to go down publicly very good. I thought that Martin Luther King was a skunk. He came to Anniston, and he, and this is the truth, they did not give him the resistance that he thought they ought to give him, and then they had this, and I felt like it was just that uh, he had no business doing that. It was done for publicity, and uh, it was not necessary, and I did not approve of it at all. And I am not anti, uh, I'm not, I don't know what you call them. I'm not anti-Negro, I'm not anti-Black, I'm not anti, I love them. Mammy raised me, I was, I was as dark as she was, but, the, but Martin Luther King. And I'm, I shouldn't say this, but I have no use for Martin Luther King. They celebrate Martin Luther King Day, and I know what he did. So when the, but, when the bus burned there, um, you think that they more or less provoked a confrontation? I think Martin Luther King wanted it. Don't get me started on this because I'm not, I love the Negroes. They've been my best friends. I've grown up with them. I played with them as a children. They're mine. But I don't like Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. 
This is the first time I've ever expressed that. I've got to go back and repent. But there's no excuse. We have uh, slavery's wrong. The Jews were enslaved. That was wrong. God didn't intend for us to have slavery, but we had it. And there were, there were Negroes. I'm going, that's what I'd call them is Negroes. Not I don't like that word, but Negroes. And they were as much family as we were family. And they had, Mammy had the same thing to eat. We, she was us. And they were ours. But uh, Martin Luther King didn't take that. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to say all of this. No, that's quite all right. And the, the, uh, when the bus uh, burned, I mean, when you read about that and saw that it happened in the place that you grew up, what did you feel about that? Well, I, it would happen anywhere. They just happened to be, ha be there. I mean, it was anywhere in the South that Martin Luther King could do that, he would have done it. And I cannot, I cannot with all righteousness get up and say, when they have Martin Luther King, hooray, because I think Martin Luther King has done the Negro race a disfavor. They've taught, he's taught hate. And it shouldn't have been hate. We should have all lived together in peace and we could have all gone on and been educated. It, it's no excuse to have come in and cause the confirmation. I just want to ask one other thing. Had he not done that, uh, do you think that the desegregation ever would have happened? Oh, certainly it would have been happened. It wasn't very long before it would have happened. It was happening then. It, was, it would happen very easily. It may have taken maybe 20 years, but I, I think it would have definitely been gone by now. What the Freedom Riders did was, uh, I mean, they forced the issue, certainly. Oh. they got on the buses and yeah. rode down. I had a teacher whose husband was a preacher. I mean, I was teaching school in Houston, and she and her husband went and rode on the bus there. It wasn't necessary. We could have all passed over smoothly and, and made up where we'd all been one. It wasn't necessary. As I mentioned, my Aunt Lucy Jane, she was a Watson, just like I'm a Watson. She was my dad's big sister who was, I think, at least a decade older than him. I believe she was born in 1911. Um, and she uh, married a man named Julian Sachs. And actually his story historically is very interesting because he was a chemical engineer and was at the forefront of the race across the Rhine to preserve, like the, the Nazis when retreating would have tried to blow up the bridges to, to sort of slow the Allied advance. And he was quick to cross the Rhine River to secure those bridges so that the Allied forces could continue to pursue um, Nazi Germany, Nazi German forces. And he also, what that meant was, was among the first men to discover one of the concentration camps, to stumble into one of the concentration camps. And so you have a man named Sachs, S-A-K-S, who's the descendant of German Jews, who really are only two generations off the boat, who is opening up a concentration camp that basically contained people who could have been him. It could have been his family. And so some of his documentation, of Julian Sachs' documentation, is in the Holocaust Museum in, in Houston, Texas that's kept there. My Aunt Lucy Jane Sachs, even though she was raised in the Church of Christ, a Christian, and never really converted, her funeral, her memorial was in the temple there in Houston. 
so she had a Jewish funeral, and she was a member of the synagogue of the temple, but she never really converted. And she talks about why she did that. There's one other little footnote very quickly before you hear these, these clips about what it meant for her to fall in love with, uh, get engaged to, and then marry a Jewish man and have this sort of mixed marriage of a Christian and a Jew was that uh, the Sachs that he was a part of were cousins of the Sachs of Sachs Fifth Avenue. And so they, they were the, uh, <laughs> I think you would call them the poorer cousins because they never, you know, had the wealth that the Sachs of the New York Sachs Fifth Avenue had. However, he was in the clothing business for a while but became a chemical engineer and really wanted to work in that field and did so for the Allied forces. So that sort of explains a lot of the historic context of my Aunt Lucy Jane. Was it unusual at all at the time for a Christian to marry a Jew? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that either. I know, I know that um, I think it would have been better had Julian married a Jew. She was engaged to a Jewish girl, and I did not know it. And uh, Except he left one time, and he went to uh, Georgia. I'm not going to tell you what city. And... Uh, for the weekend, and he came back, and uh, I asked him where, uh, where he'd been, and he said, well, he just went to straighten out something with a girlfriend. I said, you had a girlfriend? He said, yeah. Never mentioned again. I don't know her name. I do know we visited in that town later, years later, and he asked somebody if she ever married, and I think they said no. He would have been better off if he'd married her, but he didn't. <laughs> now, well, how can you say that? You guys had a wonderful daughter together, and... Or wouldn't it have been better if they'd both been the same religion and it could have gone on smoothly, gone on? We didn't have any religious disputes. Neither one of us, we just didn't. But it would have been better. I don't know. It depends on how important religion is, I suppose. It depends on how important those differences are. But I think it's tragic. I have a... I quoted on this too. I'll say I have a friend who has a daughter, that's the way I'll word it. And she, her, the mother and father are divorced, and she doesn't want to have anything to do with Jewish men. She wants, and the mother is Jewish. She's been brought up Jewish, but she wants to date somebody that's not Jewish. So now she's hoping to get married to a Catholic. And I think it's going to be tragic. You marry a Catholic, it's all right if you're not Jew or Catholic, but you raise your children as a Catholic. And there's going to be an awful lot of problems there. And there's no way to escape it. We talked to somebody who was Catholic, said he didn't marry who, didn't care who his, uh, um, I think it was her, who her daughter married. But the children would be Catholic. And I think they're going to have an awful lot of problems. There's a lot of discussion that I, I, I hear more discussion about that in the Jewish community than I do in the Christian community. About what? About intermarriage. Intermarriage. Mm -hmm. that, and I know it happens a lot. I mean, one of my fraternity brothers, who's a very good friend of mine, mm -hmm. uh, married a woman who wasn't Jewish, and she converted. She converted, but I think she converted with a lot of pressure. But him. even if they do convert, they're still a little bit missing. And yet you don't want to get it where 
you know, you're going to marry and you're going to marry and you're going to marry, then you're going to get some problems too. Yeah. And even in the Bible, Old, Old Testament, you have some intermarriages. Yeah. Well, you could have gone to, uh, I mean, you could have kept going to the Church of Christ if you wanted to. Oh, uh, I did. I went to the Church of Christ till Judy came along. But you can't bring a child up with cross purposes. I went with him and he went with me. It was fine. But when the children stopped coming, and of course I didn't know I'd ever have a child. I was told I wouldn't because I'd had a fibroid tumor. And they told me it would be impossible for me to have a child. But I had one. God sent it to me. I don't know whether I raised her like he wanted her raised or not, but I had one. That's that's amazing. That's kind of a miracle. I never. Oh, it was. It was a miracle. What would I do without her? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it worked out great. But if I'd had somebody to select to raise Judy, I would have always had Nell. She would have been my choice. I told Stuart that once, but I don't think I ever told Nell. Why? I mean, why did you? Why would you? Why do you like that? Don't ask questions like that. <laughs> It's but a great I, but I would have felt that uh, that would be less. Did you go to their wedding? I got a new dress to go to their wedding, but I didn't get to go. Mm. I've forgotten what uh, happened. I was I bought a new dress and I was ready to go, and I don't remember what happened, but I didn't get to go. I wish I had. Yeah. Well, she's she's a great woman. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, reason I would have selected Nell, and I'll tell you why, uh, Rebecca would have made a beautiful mother, but she had some children, and uh, I felt like that being a mixed marriage like I had, that Nell would be more understanding of the fact that you don't go the straight and narrow, and you can't go the straight and narrow too too easily, or maybe, and I felt like that Nell would have seen, and she had no children. What do you mean by the straight and narrow? I mean, well, you be you do what my church says, or don't do anything. I mean, I, my church is going to heaven, everybody else isn't. And believe me, a lot of religions believe that. The Baptist, I think nearly every religion believes, if you're not mine, the Catholics, the Baptists, Church of Christ, all of them. If you don't follow my, the way I see it, then you're doomed. Dad told me that Granddaddy Garrett never went back to church again after no. his wife died. Mm -mm. But I don't know. Daddy Garrett became what they said was uh, infidel. I think they called it an infidel. I don't think he did. Daddy Garrett was elder in the church very active in the church. In fact, uh, some of our descendants, our ancestors rather, we are the descendants, were adopted children of Alexander Campbell, who founded the Church of Christ. Oh, no, he didn't find, but who started the Church of Christ, or whatever. And um, he was very active. In fact, my mother made the remark, Mona made the remark that she would not be as religious as she was without Daddy Garrett. But Daddy Garrett made the remark that if that he had prayed with all his heart that Grandmother Lucy would live, and that God didn't see it that way if there was a God, and that uh, he she left oh, he he was left with four infant four children to raise, and if he thought that if there had been a God, he would have let let her live longer, and so he quit. 
and he never went back. So uh, that's that's what happened on that. Now, what do they mean by infidel? I don't know. He wasn't an infidel. What was he? He was an agnostic. I don't know if. He was never an infidel, but he was an agnostic. And I've got a whole book of Daddy Garrett's papers in which he wrote. Have you seen that book? Which he is giving a lecture. Oh, he was a member of a writer's club. And he has, I have a whole book of the thing, articles that he has written. It's very interesting. But it wasn't on religion necessarily. It was on everything. But he was a wonderful man. And uh, like uh, Mr. Barnes said when Daddy, Bain, when Daddy Garrett died, said, I never knew a better man in my life than Daddy Garrett. It's too bad he was an agnostic, but he was never an infidel. I used the wrong word. Don't you give this to Judith Ann. Boy, I've said things I shouldn't have said. Why? I've said too much. Even what I said about Martin Luther King, much too much. Well, it's the truth, and what, I mean, not the truth, but it's it's your point of view. That's right. And there's, I mean, there's a there's a certain point of view that's sort of the politically correct point of view, and then people don't hear any other point of view. You know, they don't hear. Yeah, I'm wondering uh, with Mammy how much she felt like she could have said no. I'm wondering why she did what she did. I'm wondering if she. You mean to Daddy? Why she took the children? I don't know. I imagine it was a good job, good home, good family. Daddy man, Daddy man's. We had to separate. We had to have a colored reception room and a white reception room. We didn't have to have it. We wouldn't have had it on our own choice. We were, we are all God's children. But that was the way. If we hadn't had it, we'd probably been <laughs> thrown out of town. But we were all, I mean, we all God's children. All God's children. We are all God's children. I just want to say it is so important to record these conversations with family members, however uncomfortable they are at certain times, to preserve their voices, because my Aunt Lucy Jane is not with us anymore. And I was very fond of her. I'm very fond of her daughter and of her grandson and of his children, one of whom had a bat mitzvah this year, and I was not able to go. And I really don't like that, because on my checklist, Liz, on my checklist, quinceanera, bat mitzvah, okay? More important than climbing Mount Everest. I, I think I have a line on a quinceanera, but I was not able to make this bat mitzvah. Very important to record these things. I'm doing it professionally now under the name Voice Locket, which I love. Do you like that? I love it. Thank you. Voicelocket.com is where I'm doing that professionally if you're interested. Thanks for joining us. Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. Please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening, one word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. A small investment can raise up the conversation. 
If you want exclusive member merch like a t-shirt, we can arrange that too. A huge shout out and thank you to everyone, everyone who has supported Man Listening from the very beginning. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks.